When I was a kid, I, a very little kid, I remember overhearing my dad talking about his new car. And he was discussing it with a friend. And one of the features of this new car is apparently it had a lot of horsepower. And he was pretty excited about the horsepower in this car. And as I I reflected on that and thought about that as a kid, I tried to figure out how they could get hundreds of horses into the engine of the car. I thought they must be little tiny little horses that are stuck in the engine. And how does he feed those horses? How does this happen? And uh, as I think back on that, I couldn't have been more wrong about how a car engine works. And some of you today here, as we begin to talk about the flood, today you have your whole life thought of the story of the biblical flood in Genesis as a story about arcs and animals. And I just want you to know that just as I was wrong as a kid, you couldn't be more wrong about the story of Genesis the biblical flood. Because what the flood is really about is about God's broken heart. And it's about God's, God creating a new beginning for the world which broke his heart. We've been in this series called Beginnings from Genesis and, and we're looking at the first 11 chapters of Genesis in this series and looking at how, how, how God is creating a new beginning. And so, so many times in this process, we looked in the first two chapters, we saw this good world that God had created just the way he wanted. And now, then we moved on and we saw what Adam and Eve did in a rebellion. And there was really a process that's been going on here ever since Adam and Eve rebelled. And this is the process. I've outlined it here for you. It starts with rebellion. People rebel against God. Then God extends his mercy. Mercy is given from God. A remnant then is chosen by God. Now this remnant is is a special word we haven't talked about before, but it's an important word. A, A remnant in biblical terms is a way that God selects a few to start anew. Um, in, the, in the Old Testament, we see this picture of remnant all the time. It's God taking a few and starting over with them. We see it especially in the Old Testament when Jerusalem, the holy city, was destroyed and the exiles are taken off to Babylon for 70 years and they're called a remnant, a remnant of God's people. So we, have, we see uh, rebellion, mercy, remnant, and then restoration. God is working to restore his kingdom. Now, here's how we've seen this flesh itself out in the first few chapters of Genesis. You remember in Genesis chapter 3, of course, when Eve ate the fruit and Adam ate the fruit and they willingly rebelled against God. But then we see God's mercy extended to them and to all of us. In Genesis chapter 3, if you remember, we talked about uh, the first telling of the gospel in Genesis 3. That there's these whispers that through all this mess, God is going to bless the whole world. And then we, of course, see uh, in, in this remnant chosen by God where God says, Okay, I'm going to choose the descendants of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, to go forth and rebuild my kingdom. However, as you realize, Cain and Abel didn't do so well because Abel got killed by Cain. And so we're back to rebellion. And the process starts again. Uh, Cain rebels against God. And then we see uh, the God places his mercy on Cain. That last week we talked about the special mark that was placed on Cain so that people wouldn't kill him. God extends his mercy. And then we see this uh, remnant chosen again. Adam and Eve have another son 
by the name of Seth. And Seth is now chosen to be this remnant of God's people, rebuilding his kingdom for the restoration of God's kingdom. And restoration goes pretty well in the beginning. In chapter 4, verse uh, 26, it says, these are, in speaking of the descendants of Seth, at this time, men begin to call on the name of the Lord. And so you're like, it's going well, except we see that it didn't go well. In, uh, in chapter 6, we learn that these descendants of Seth down the line begin to rebel against God again. Uh, in the beginning of chapter 6, we see the descendants of Seth marrying the descendants of Cain. And uh, in that way saying, God, I want to rebel against your desires. And we say this crazy thing in Genesis chapter 6. And this whole process begins again. Rebellion, mercy, remnant, restoration. And the result of all this mess now, in Genesis chapter 6, look at verse 5. The Lord saw how great mankind's wickedness on the earth had become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. And the Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth, and his heart was filled with pain. Just let that sit in for a second. He was grieved. His heart was filled with pain. Open rebellion against God deeply wounds our Heavenly Father. If you don't understand this verse, you cannot understand the context in which this biblical account of the flood happens. God's heart was filled with pain. And if you can't understand it, all you have to do is think about a father who created his own business. He created his own business from the ground up. Let's say it's a widget business. I always love it when economics professors talked about widget businesses, you know. And so he created a, a widget business and he loved widgets. The father loved his widgets. He created this business. He knew widgets inside and out. And as his son was born from the time his son was little, he taught his son all about widgets. He, he, a son knew how to use widgets, how to handle widgets, how to make widgets, how to tear widgets apart. He knew all about widgets. Then, and the son, the father was so excited that someday the dream was to pass on this widget business to his son. And yet when his son came of age and it came time for him to take the business, the son said, you know what, dad, I don't really want to do anything to do with widgets. And what's more, I really don't want anything to do with you. Now you can just imagine the heart and the pain of the father in that story, and you begin to get just a little glimpse of what it means in Genesis 6, 5, and 6 when it says the Lord's heart was filled with pain. This continual rebellion. And the problem is it's not just, wow, <laughs> they really messed up. This world that, that Moses is telling about us here, here before the fall is a dark place. It is a deep Braved place. It is a place full of evil. It is a place that is so far from God's intent for people that it grieves him. Over in, uh, if you continue in chapter 6 and you look at verse 11, look what it says. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and it was full of violence and God saw how corrupt the earth had become for all the people on the earth had corrupted their ways. This is strong language to talk about this deep 
dark-seated rebellion against God. It's a world of unrestrained evil, and it's nothing like God intended. And God says, I will not allow this evil to remain unchecked. I'm going to create a new beginning. And so we see here that God declares it's time for a new beginning. The world is so ruined by open rebellion and by sin that God's going to wash it clean and start over. And he says, I'm going to wipe it all clean and start over with a new Adam. And this is where the flood comes in. God has seen that the world is so evil that he's going to wash it clean and start over. I, I was reminded uh, recently, and, and you might be completely surprised uh, by this, but this kind of reminds me of the Chicago Cubs a little bit. And, uh, and I know many of you are, are completely surprised by this. I heard that they were in a big game or game recently. Uh, okay, I, never mind. I'm I lying. I know. I, I've watched all the playoff games with sheer excitement. But it, I was thinking as an avid Cubs fan for so long, uh, in 2011, uh, the Cubs were a mess, okay? They were just a complete mess. They had massive character problems on their team. They were fighting regularly in the clubhouse, like physically fighting. Um, they, they were just a mess at the end of the 2011 season. They had one of the highest payrolls in Major League Baseball and yet had one of the worst records that year because they had overplayed all these players who had massive character problems and were underperforming. And so when Theo Epstein was hired to be the executive vice president of the Chicago Cubs, he began a, pro a process of dismantling the team. Their highest paid player, Carlos Sombrano, was traded and the Cubs ate his entire contract almost just to get rid of him. They traded 20 of, of the players on their 25-man roster over the next two or three years. They got rid of 24 of the 25 players. Uh, in fact, Theo would do a process where he would sign a free agent and trade him at the deadline just to get more prospects. And you see, in this process, as a Cubs fan, it was really, really really painful. It was, the last few years have been incredibly painful. And now we see the fruit of a rebuilding. Theo has rebuilt the team, and, and here they are in the playoffs. And this is sort of a picture of what is going on with the flood of Genesis. It's completely inadequate, this picture. But it is a picture, nonetheless, of God saying, I'm going to wipe clean this evil, depraved world, wash it clean with the flood, and start over. And it's a picture. So it's not about arcs and animals. The flood is about God recreating what, what sin has completely messed up. And it's about involving you and me in the process. You see, God wants to use you. He wants to use you to create a new beginning. God wants to use you and me to create a new beginning because this is what God is like. God is a God of new beginnings. So in the account of the flood, we are, invited to, we are invited to join God in his act of recreation. You and I have an invitation in this biblical story of the flood to join God in his act of recreation. And so really there's only two points from this today. The first point is that God invites us to decreate the pain of sin we are invited to join God in the decreating the pain of sin. Now, in the flood, God says, okay, I'm going to wipe everything clean. I'm literally going to undo the mess. Look at chapter 6, verse 13. 
So God said to Noah, I am going to put an end to all the people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark. God declares what is true and what he knows right now. Is he, he, says, he says, at this time before the flood, the world is so horrible, the world is so corrupt, the world is so rebellious that he is going to wipe it clean. And we begin to see this process of decreating. God chooses a remnant, Noah. And he says, I'm going to undo what I've created, wash it clean, and start over. Um, and God is going to undo his created order. When I was studying for this passage uh, this week, I discovered something I have never seen before in the biblical account of the flood. And it's a literary structure that some of you who don't like literature might just roll your eyes for a second. But if you don't see this, you cannot understand the intent with which Moses is writing this for us. And the literary structure is called a chiasm. A, a chiastic structure in literature basically starts with a point and works towards the center of a story. At the center of the story is the high point, and then and it, it exactly duplicates that as it works back out to the end of the story, each point matching along the way. Let me show you what I mean as I tell you the story of the flood here. If you look at this structure here, the first thing we see happen in in Genesis chapter 6 is that God resolves to destroy the corrupted world. God resolves to destroy the corrupted world. That's the very first thing that God resolves to do. And you see this in in chapter 6 verses 11 to 13, which we already read. God makes a a resolution. He says, I'm going to wipe it all clean. Watch the next thing that happens. Then God commands Noah to build an ark. God commands Noah to build an ark. And he says, build this ark, Noah. So we see this picture. Okay, God is going to decreate this and watch how the story goes forward. He says to build an ark. Then he says to Noah, hey, the ark is built. And by the way, that took a long time, as many as a hundred or more years. So this is a big ark. And God says to Noah, um, he says, I'm going to command you and the remnant to enter the ark. So that's the next piece. They enter the ark. And of course, we know they took a whole bunch of animals with them. He says, enter the ark. And then we see as the story continues, as this family, this remnant, Noah's family, and all these animals are in the ark, the next thing we see happen is that water appears. You see this story, and the, the floodwaters come from above and below. And for 150 days, the flood waters rise. 150 days. And at the end of this 150 days, at the end of the 150 days, as the flood waters have, are rising, as the, as the waters rise at the end of 150 days, look what it says. It says at the very end of chapter 7, every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out. Men and animals and creatures that move along the ground and the birds of the air. Do you hear the language from the creation of account? God is undoing everything he did. Only Noah was left and those with him in the ark. And the waters flooded the earth for 150 days. And I think if Moses were reading this passage in our presence today, he would pause. Imagine the world 
filled with water above the highest mountain, a sphere of water covering the earth. There's a rest, a pause. Filth has been literally washed away. Sin has literally been washed away. The sin, the destruction, the selfishness. There is this fresh slate. We're ready to start anew. And it should remind you way back in Genesis 1, verse 2. In Genesis 1, 1, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and void. And darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. As we read this in Genesis now with the earth completely flooded, washed anew, water, it should bring to our mind the Spirit of God hovering over the water. Except this time, except this time, it's not merely the Spirit of God hovering over the water. There in hovering on this, on this planet completely covered with water is the Spirit of God, but is Noah and his ark. And at the very center of this story is chapter 8, verse 1. This is the center, the highlight, the peace. And God remembered Noah and everything that was with him at the ark. And he sent a wind over the earth. Do you know that word wind is in Hebrew is ruach? It's the same word as spirit. You, it's one word, wind or spirit. It's up to Bible interpreters to figure out which one it means in the context. And here we have God sent a wind, but it's no coincidence here that the spirit of God is involved. And at the very center of this story, as God has just decreated his entire creation, and we're back to the beginning where water covers the earth, And the Spirit of God is hovering over the water, and an ark is there. You see, because something is just slightly different this time around. God didn't really start afresh, did he? He didn't really completely start afresh. He didn't. Because the Spirit of God isn't the only one hovering over the surface of the water. The ark is there. And God is going to salvage with a remnant of his people and recreate this. And at the very center, we see God remembered Noah. Just like his faithful pattern of faithful restoration from what we talked about earlier. Remember? Rebellion, mercy, remnant, restoration. That same process God is using here. And God now proclaims that Noah and his family are the remnant. He's salvaging his creation. He's involving his created in the salvage operation. Did you know that God wants to do this with you and me? God wants to use you and me to create a new beginning, a salvage mission. All we have to do is look around us today. In our world, and we see some things that cause God pain. God grieves when girls are sold into sex trafficking at a young age. When people are slaughtered in a genocide. And God grieves when children go hungry. And God grieves when people are valued based on their behavior instead of the image of God in them. And God grieves when marriages dissolve and when selfishness rules the day. God's grieved when every inclination of the heart of mankind is evil. God grieves it. And all we have to do is look around us. 
And just like that time when God remembered Noah, in the very center of the story, when God remembered Noah, so God remembers his church. And he wants to use you and me in the process. God's pattern hasn't changed. And this is the message of the gospel. This is the message that God recognize that a rebellious people would continue rebelling. Even Noah's descendants would continue to rebel against God. Even Abraham's descendants would continue to rebel against God until God extended his mercy in the cross. And the center of the biblical story is the cross. And his remnant then is the church, you and me. And this is all for the purpose of restoration. God remembered Noah, and he remembers you and me because he wants to use us to create a new beginning. He wants to constantly use you and me to be part of creating a new beginning. Now, in the flood, what we can see here is we see that God decreated his kingdom, and now we're going to see that God recreates his kingdom. And this is sort of like, have you ever seen a commercial? You're watching the commercial, and it starts with a picture. You really can't understand. And then the commercial actually runs backwards. Have you ever seen one of those? When, and everything is sort of fixed in the commercial as they run the commercial backwards. And then they tell you about their great product that does this, I guess. Uh, it's sort of like that. All of a sudden, we're watching this in rewind. Watch, watch what happens here. So put up the first part of the chiastic structure, Jordan. So this is where we left out. God remembers Noah. Now watch what happens in reverse. One at a time here. The first thing we see is the floodwaters recede. For 150 days they had rose and now they are receding. And then the next thing we see is whereas water appeared in chapter 7, now we see dry ground appearing in verse 8. You see how everything is undoing? Keep going, Jordan. Whereas a remnant entered the ark in chapter 7, now the remnant leaves the ark. Where God had told Noah to build an ark in chapter 6, now God tells Noah to build an altar. So all the people leave the ark. They're on dry ground. Noah and his family, and the first thing God does, just like he'd said build an ark, now build an altar because I'm going to establish the worship of Yahweh in this new beginning. And then, of course, whereas God resolved to destroy in chapter 6, God resolves to never destroy like this at the very end of the story. And of course we know. I mean, we hear the story of this rainbow. Every time we see a rainbow in the sky, I try to remember my family that God is a God who keeps his promises. God is a God who has resolved now through this. He's never going to do it again. He's never going to wipe out people like this again. And it's just pointing us to the cross. The world was in such a horrible state and yet the message you hear is that God is a God who keeps his promises because he's chosen a remnant in his church to restore the kingdom of God, to join him in this restoration process. Um, I was talking with Jess Savage this week because she's a historian, and uh, we were talking about uh, pictures in history of decreation and recreation. And one of the things she brought up to me that, that I thought was really helpful in thinking about it was during World War II, um, the, the Japanese empire was really a mess. Um, the, the empire w with an emperor, the whole uh, system 
it was just a mess. Um, the emperor would just didn't value human life. He would just throw all these Japanese soldiers into a losing battle. Um, they would continue to send soldier after soldier into the line of fire. Wipe, and he was probably willing to wipe out his entire society to do battle with the Allied troops. And uh, when the Allied looked at this picture, they realized that to send the, uh, a ground invasion into Japan, the cost not only to Allied forces, but to Japanese lives would be immense. I mean, this system was messed up. And so this system needed to be decreated. It needed to be torn down. And of course, this picture of what it took to do that is two atomic weapons. And just these, these pictures here, you can't see those pictures without feeling a sense of devastation and horror. You just can't look at them with going out seeing the, the extremes to which really the Allies were put into a place to have to do because the Japanese system was so messed up. And yet, in the face of all this, the Allies did not forget Japan. When they broke the back of the enemy, they didn't forget Japan, and they began to recreate what they destroyed. On May 13, 1947, a constitution was drafted that included a Bill of Rights. Uh, and this was the first act of rebuilding, and MacArthur, General MacArthur was a huge influence in this rebuilding process. The general that had launched this assault in the Pacific was a huge advocate of this. They, today, the Japanese constitution, I'm told, is called the MacArthur Constitution, because that man was determined to be part of the rebuilding structure in Japan. But they didn't just start with a constitution. The allies poured into Japan. They re rebuilt infrastructure. They rebuilt this country. And to today, you know, you see pictures like this one here of, of Japan, this modern place, to the point where Japan became, until recently, one of the strongest economies in the entire world. It's just a picture of saying, we're going to recreate something better. Um, there's no perfect comparison. Uh, every comparison like this has flaws to it. But it illustrates the deep decreation and recreation in the flood. And God is a God who recreates broken and messed up worlds. And God is the God who recreates broken and messed up lives. One of my favorite pictures of God's restorative process, of God's recreating process, is the picture of a mosaic. I talk about this constantly. God is a God of a mosaic. You know, a mosaic is a piece of uh, art that is, uh, is usually or sometimes made from broken pieces of ceramic or glass. And, and, and the broken pieces are arranged in such a way that it creates a beautiful piece of artwork. But for the artwork to, to be made, the glass or ceramic must be broken. You see, God is a God who decreates the mess and pain of sin and recreates it in our lives. This is what God does. So in the flood, now we are called to decreate the pain of sin and recreate the kingdom of God. It's really a simple thing. 
if once we understand what the flood is about, that the flood is about decreating the pain and horror of sin and then recreating it with a remnant that is restorative, once we get this into our brains, we see in here there's a call for us to join this. Because in many ways, Noah is a second Adam. Remember, Adam was God's first created human. God had an intent for Adam that Adam rebelled against. And so in, in so many ways in the scriptures here, look, look what happens to Noah when he comes out of the ark. They come out of the ark, they build an altar. Chapter 9, verse 1. Then God blessed Noah and his son, saying to them, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. Now, where have we heard that before? Well, Genesis chapter 1, 28, it was the same command given to Adam. God's saying, okay, we've washed it clean. We're recreating this now. And look, we're going to start with the same command I gave you in the beginning. In so many ways, Noah is a new Adam. If Noah, though, is the center point of the flood narrative, we must see that Jesus is the center point of the Bible. Water cleanses, friends, but blood purifies. 1 John 1, 7 says the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. This is the gospel message. Don't you see in the bigger narrative that God is just, just not decreating and recreating in the flood. God has been decreating and recreating for the, all of human history. Because the story of his, human history all points to God. And so while the cross is the center... We see working up to the cross, pain and sin and hardship and rebellion. People say so many times, they say the, the Bible's a story about heroes of old. No, it's not. The Bible is a story of people that messed up greatly. <laughs> it's just a story of people messing it up over and over and over. Even Noah messes it up. All this points to the decreative process where we get to the center of the story and there Jesus is. The cross is the center, and when Jesus died on the cross, Satan is defeated, though he thinks he has victory. And then in the resurrection, when Jesus broke the back of sin and death, we see this recreative process. So do you see how this pattern works with us? Because in recreating after the resurrection, God chooses his children, those children of Jesus who through faith come to him. God chooses his children as the remnant, children of God, children of Jesus through faith in him. Rebellion. All of us have certainly rebelled. But the mercy of the cross brings us in as a remnant who, of those who through faith follow after Jesus to restore working towards God's full reign of his kingdom. Because someday we can't wait. We're going to see the kingdom of God fully restored. We're joining God in this process right now. Someday Jesus comes back. He literally puts his feet down on this earth. He literally reigns as the king of this earth. Just as Noah was a remnant, so the church is a remnant chosen for restoration. So using those, Jordan, put that last slide up with the two points on it. Using these two simple ideas, decreating the pain of sin and recreating the kingdom, let's just ask him honest questions about our lives. First of all, what's broken? I mean, that's the first question. If we're decreating the pain of sin, we have to look around us and say, what's broken? 
We have to ask the same question that God did in chapter 6 when he says, and, and, and the Lord's heart was filled with pain. What around you causes the heart of God to break? And God calls you and I to get involved in the mess of sin and to undo it. For those who call themselves followers of Jesus, who through faith in Christ are children of God, a remnant of he asks us to get involved in what's broken. Some friends of ours uh, who uh, don't, act, don't attend Waukee Community Church, but there's some friends of ours in the area here. Uh, we've watched them involve themselves in this decreating the pain of sin process. Um, they met a young woman, oh, maybe six months ago, uh, and this young woman had a, a very young child, and they, they stepped into her life because this young woman had a really rough background. Uh, this young woman was raised in extreme poverty to the point where they lived out in the country, and her parents couldn't even afford enough gas to put into the car to drive to town and get food stamps and food. I mean, it's extreme, messed up poverty. She went to bed hungry many nights. She had no idea what a healthy family looked like. This family, these friends of ours, said to this young woman, come live with us. And they just simply recognized that this young woman had such a traumatic childhood and background that breaks the heart of God. Look around you. What in your life do you see breaks the heart of God? I recently heard about a, a teenage kid who heard that there was a certain third world country that lacked shoes. Like a ridiculously low percentage of people in this country had shoes. And this teenager was a runner. And uh, this teenager, she realized that, you know, runners change their shoes like every, I don't know, 3,000 miles like an oil change, right? And so they have these shoes that are, are, are good to wear, but they're not good for running anymore. And so she started collecting uh, used running shoes. And they shipped these used running shoes in massive cargo containers to this third world country where she went along with and said, you know what? We can provide shoes for a country that needs them. Uh, I recently heard a couple who saw the stats about marital decay in our country and said, we're going to do something about it because marital decay breaks the heart of God. Uh, I re recently heard of, of another woman who started uh, working with her coworkers uh, because her coworkers were going, one of them was going through spousal abuse. And she just injected herself into the life of her coworker who was being abused by her husband and said, this breaks the heart of God. Do you see things around you that break the heart of God? The number of, for me personally, do you know what breaks my heart because it breaks the heart of God? Is when I look around our seemingly affluent area and I see the numbers of people who have no idea who Jesus is, even though they attend, they attend church six times a year. They just have no clue of the life that Jesus can bring, of the what it means to place your faith in him and follow after him, a whole new way of life-giving life. And I see it all around us. People who just say, well, yeah, sure, I'm a Christian. I guess I'm an American, right? And they have no idea that breaks the heart of God. What's broken around you? What do you see? 
What breaks your heart because you know it breaks the heart of God? And then the second question is, what do we do to recreate? Recreate God's kingdom. Go back to my, my friends who uh, got to know this young woman in her, in her 20s who had a child and, and grew up in this horrible, dysfunctional home. And, and they invited her, my friends invited her into their home. And they said, you know what? Uh, just come live with us. And so this woman lived, young woman lived with them and their family. And you know what she got to see? She got to see how a, a, a good, godly family works. She got to see the dad say to his kids every morning, I love you, I love you, I love you. They got to see that this is a hugging family. Like every time you walk in, there's a hug. And this girl got to experience the tenderness of a physical embrace for the first time. They said, we can be part in a small way of saying, how can we recreate the goodness of the kingdom of God, the way things are supposed to be? Some of you look at this and go, whoa. Like, Dave, that's great and all, but I... That's way too big for me. <laughs> like, you know, you look at it and you go, I'm not going to be the person that creates a shoe ministry to a third world country. Like, that's just not me. That's too big. Or I, I can't imagine bringing someone into my house and having them live with us. Or, or you think, wow, I, you know, I, I couldn't do like a whole marriage ministry. Like, I couldn't be the Rossbergs, you know, because they're amazing. Right? We look at this and you think, these things are way too big for me. I'm just a plain old normal person. Well, what I love is God loves to use plain old normal people. <laughs> he just does. He likes to use normal people. So I would ask you to look around your neighborhood or at your workplace or wherever you are and say, what breaks God's heart here? Because it might just be something in one neighbor. In one neighbor that you get to inject yourself into their life to decreate the pain of sin and recreate the glory of God and his kingdom. You're creating, you are being part of God recreating. Uh, one way that we do this is through Faith in Action Sunday. Jeff spent a lot of time talking about it. Angelita did a great job sharing this morning. If you just think Faith in Action Sunday is about doing good things, you have got the wrong picture. Faith in Action Sunday is about us all together intentionally saying sin has broken people and sin has created horrible things, but the good news of the resurrection that God is recreating something beautiful through his church. And you get to be part, you say, I can't do that. Yes, you can. Here's a simple way to inject yourself into the lives of people who have just said, I can't crawl up on my roof and clean out my gutters anymore. And we say, we can help you with that. In our neighborhood, there's a family that moved into our neighborhood, uh, and, and they realized, they looked around us, and they thought, this neighborhood's kind of disjointed, like no one really knows each other, and I mean, we've been here like two months, and, and we really haven't met anyone yet. And so they looked at that, and they said, we, we need to fix something. We need to fix that. So they just took a simple flyer and put it in everyone's door in the neighborhood. It said, we are having donuts, from 8 o'clock in the morning, or no, 7 o'clock in the morning to 10 o'clock in the morning at our house. We're buying all kinds of donuts. Come stop by and grab a donut. And, uh, and so I went by, and all of a sudden I got talking to this family, and I realized that the, these were like-minded believers, that these people had just simply looked and saw something in our neighborhood that was broken and said, we want to inject ourselves into the life of our neighborhood through donuts. And it worked. 
all of a sudden I'm seeing neighbors interact that never, and I got to bridge a relationship with neighbors that I haven't talked to in years. All because now I get to look at that and say, how can I continue to further the decreation of the pain of sin and participate with what God's doing in the recreation of his kingdom? It's a new beginning. God is making all things new. Now my question for you is will you follow his lead? He's the one who does it. We step into what he's doing. If the story of Noah teaches us anything, it teaches us that God wants to decreate the pain of sin and he wants to invite us into what he's doing, recreating his kingdom, the goodness of who God is. So will you and I follow him in that? Let's pray and then we're going to sing together. God, we love you. We thank you for this simple challenge and the message of the flood which reveals your heart that pain, sin deeply pains you, but you have a plan, God. And thank you for involving us in that plan. Let us look with God's eyes around us to see, to see what you're doing, but to see what breaks your heart. And give us the courage and boldness to step into what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen.